Hey, listeners, to help us keep delivering in-depth wine business content, we've carefully selected partners for our show that we think will resonate with you. This episode's partner is Repor, the best way to save wine without planning ahead. Today, we have Gregory Stokes, sommelier at Veritas Restaurant and the forthcoming wine shop Accent Wine in Columbus, Ohio. And how do you use Repor at your restaurant or wine bar? Veritas Restaurant, we're currently only open two days a week because we're waiting for business to come back from uh, the COVID shutdown. We do, you know, 30 wines by the glass and only being open two days a week, we would just lose a ton of product every week. And so at the end of every night, we put Repour in there and we can come back the next week and the wines are perfect. So we don't have any product loss. Learn more at Repour.com, R-E-P-O-U-R.com, or find the link in our show notes. And for a 30-minute overview of all things Repor, listen to episode 24, where CEO Tom Lutz gives us all the details. Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau. The podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights with your hosts, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. We're continuing our focus on wine education, and today we have a special guest, Lisa Airy, who's the Education Director of the Wine Scholar Guild. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It is a joy to be here. I followed the Wine Scholar Guild a little bit, but I've never actually taken a class. And so I'm curious if you can give us a little brief background on yourself, but then also on top of that, explain what the Wine Scholar Guild is and how it came about. Yeah, for sure. For myself, I started in the wine industry, in the wholesale industry. I was a salesperson and I spent 13 years in wine wholesale. And then I went to work for the Society of Wine Educators as education director and interim executive director. I was there for three years. And then I popped over to the French Wine Society, which is now Wine Scholar Guild. So we had a name change in our 15 year history. So that's how I met Julian when I was working, Julian Camus, our president. I met Julian when I was working for the Society of Wine Educators, and he was an attache at the French Embassy in D.C. And his job was to find importers for French wine producers. And it was a very difficult time. At that time, this is mid-2000s, there was a strong anti-French sentiment. French fries were being called freedom fries. And it was in this moment when people were throwing French wine into the gutters that Julian decided to create the French Wine Society. He decided that it was going to be impossible to find importers to take on new French producers if there wasn't enough pull from the consumer base to move the wine through the system. So he created the French Wine Society to create this interest and this love for French wine among the consumer base. And he was extraordinarily successful. People, 500 people would attend his events at a time, and he would sell tens of thousands worth of dollars worth of French wine after one of his events. So the retailers of Washington, D.C. loved him. He did not actually sell the wine. He always partnered with retailers. So there was this dynamic French wine-loving environment that he created. And after people had a passion for French wine, they also developed a passion to learn more about it. And that's where we started teaching classes. And I was helping him at that time, um, still working for the Society of Wine Educators, but helping him establish his classes. 
And one thing led to another. People took introductory classes and wanted more serious wine study. And in 2008, he said, let's create a study and certification organization. And that's when I joined him. And that's when we started the French Wine Scholar Program. It's interesting because when you started that story, I thought you were going to talk about it being a trade focus at first. And he went straight to the end point of it's a consumer first. And I actually think that's a really interesting, bigger picture, longer term thought process around forming an education body that it's not, you're not going to be niche and target the trade and kind of people who are already maybe already aware of French wine, but really to kind of widen it out. Yep. We started originally just focusing on consumers and their interest. And as we started building the educational program itself, we actually put so much time and effort into it that it became quite an advanced program right from the start. So we actually targeted serious wine hobbyists. We call them also committed students of wine. Committed meaning there's going to be some work, some elbow grease, some study involved. The test that we give for certification to become a French wine scholar is a tough test. It's challenging. So we want you to be committed to wine study, not just taking it and wasting your money on a test that you won't pass. So our students, all the tools they need to succeed, but we also tell them this is an advanced course of study and that you need to be serious about it if you want to earn a a post-nominal. So I'm curious for our listeners in terms of what makes Wine Scholar Guild unique in relation to some of the other wine education systems like the CMS, the WCT, and things like that. Right. Society of Wine Educators. All of the organizations that you listed provide more general wine education programs. So they cover the world. They're globalists. And we are not. We're specialists. We focus on France, Italy, and Spain, the three top wine producing and wine exporting countries in Europe, those that have language barriers or perhaps more convoluted wine law that requires a little bit of education and study to appreciate and understand. So that's why we focused on what we focused upon. And you spend a lot of time in the Society of Wine Educators. You're the executive director for a bit, you said, or acting. How does that structure differ from the Wine Scholar Guild? Well, the Society of Wine Educators is a membership organization. It's also a study and certification organization. Our organization is more based on study and certification with membership as a sidebar. At the time I was there, perhaps that was the reverse. They've evolved. We're evolving. When we have our get-togethers, it is our approved program providers that attend our events, whereas when they have their annual conference, it's their membership that attends. So we're formatted a little differently. Our programs are taught via independent study, instructor-led online programs, as well as a very extensive program provider network all around the globe. Globe, We have 100 program providers in over 30 countries on five continents. So our gatherings involve our instructors. I've done a webinar with the Wine Scholar Guild before for your members, but I've not taken a class either. Do your exams to get those post-nominals, do they have blind tastings as well? No, we are actually 100% theory. So our exams are, at least at the scholar level, are 100 question multiple choice exams. 
So there's no wet work at all. We encourage our students to taste along when they're working through the programs. We have a suggested wine list and tell them, you know, please do when you're tasting out, when you're studying Alsace, please taste Alsace wines. That way you can put your theory to the taste test and it drives home that theory that they're reading about. But there's no wet work. Do you think that changes the type of student that you get compared to some of the other classes? Because I imagine many students, especially consumers, might want to have the tasting component or the wet work component versus just theory. It's a very good point, Peter. That's why we have our programs in three different formats. So for the student that wishes to taste along and have that social networking side to wine education, we encourage them to go to a classroom format where they can taste with their peers, study with their peers, interact in live time with their instructor. It's a format that works for many. People who have a very tight professional schedule tend to opt for the instructor online program because if they miss a particular class, that class is recorded and they can go back to it for on-demand replay. So they don't miss anything. Whereas if their busy schedule interferes with a classroom program, they miss that entire segment. So there's those two pieces. And then, of course, there's independent study. Independent study is for someone who might be not in any way, shape, or form close to a program provider or might have a busy schedule that doesn't allow even an instructor online format, but is self-motivated and can drive his or herself to the finish line. Whereas the other two really have a structure to them that kind of pushes the student along to the finish line. So I've also noticed that you have the Wine Scholar programs for France, Italy, and Spain, but then you also have these master level programs that are really kind of dialed into regions. I'm curious if you could talk about the differences in terms of content, but also in terms of the actual students who take the different classes. Absolutely. As I made mention earlier, we are a specialization organization. We provide specialized wine study. But not only that, we drill down even deeper. For example, the French Wine Scholar Manual currently is 274 pages just on the wines of France. That is a huge volume of material that is over and above what you would find in a globalist wine program on France. That said, if you take our master level programs, those individual study manuals are anywhere from 125 to 375 pages just on one particular wine region of France. Bourgogne, for example, is our biggest, fattest, most extensive study manual and our most challenging for sure because of the sheer volume of information there. So not only can you dive deep into France, by becoming a French wine scholar, you can dive deeper and become an area specialist. And this is particularly important for those people who are in the industry that might work just with a champagne portfolio or just with a Bordeaux portfolio. And they would need to have that level of expertise for their profession. So while I was poking around on your website, I noticed a couple things. One is that the master level programs have some like top tier teachers in those specific areas, which is very impressive. The other thing I noticed is that you have study groups or travel groups that will visit those regions in many cases that seem very specialized as well. And I, I'm curious about 
how you're able to do both of those things, but also the value that that provides for someone in the trade. Absolutely. First, there are two different types of study trips that we host. We host study trips for our educators, our approved program providers. We feel that's really, really important to invest in their education. It's one thing to teach theory, but you have a lot of street cred if you've actually been to the vineyards and kicked dirt and tasted the wine and met producers. So we try to build our approved program providers with that entire experience. We encourage them to go on our trips, our educator trips, as we call them. We also have study immersion trips. These are open to the general public. These very often have, you know, as you mentioned, top names that are serving as our hosts, like Andrew Jefford, for example. And Andrew Jefford opens a lot of doors. Our students get to taste a lot of super, super wines because he has that reputation and that name and the respect within the industry. So the trips offer an individual an opportunity to see and taste some things that they might not be able to orchestrate for themselves. And this is super important, again, for that professional who's hoping to dive deeper, develop a greater understanding of the subject matter. Very often, the people that have signed up for these study immersion trips also have purchased the master level manual and is working through that program in tandem. Or at the end of their studies, they go there before they sit the exam to come back with that package of reality that will give them greater depth and experience and knowledge in which to fill out those essay questions because our master level questions or our master level exam have an essay component. So I'm curious on how you would compare these levels to some of the other accreditations in terms of depth of knowledge. So for example, if I have the WC diploma or if someone's in the trade, should I be looking to go straight towards the master classes or is there value in me going because of the depth of knowledge to going into some of the country country level ones. I'm just curious so that our listeners can understand based on where they're currently at in one of the other systems, how can they partake or where they should be looking for? Exactly. It's a really, really good question, Robert. And we actually have a schematic on our website that kind of explains how our programs fit into other people's programs. For example, by the time you hit WSET level three, you've got a general wine knowledge. You're going to dive deep in diploma. It's at this point that WSET doesn't provide you like a big fat study manual. You have to do a lot of independent research. We provide that for you on the wines of France, Italy, and Spain. And a good portion of their exams are going to be on those three countries. So we give them that core curriculum, if you will, to succeed at the diploma level and beyond. We have a lot of diploma levels that are hoping to move on to MW level that also participate not only in French Wine Scholar, but in the master levels too. So we fill that niche on both sides of WSET 3, Diploma, and MW. We dance around it. I haven't seen the book yet, but I think there is a book now for the diploma levels Aha. for WSET. It rolled out relatively recently in the last few years. Yeah, when we took it, we didn't have it. It was yeah. kind of, there was only for like one or two of the units. They're like, you have to know this for the multiple choice question part, but everything else was self-study. It was like a list of Oxford Companion terms to like go look up and read. I've yeah. seen that too. And I know that they have just updated a lot of their diploma materials. So yeah. Yeah. 
So what do you see as the key benefits outside of, you know, pleasure of learning about wine for taking Wine Scholar Guild qualifications? Do people see career benefits or, I mean, if they're consumers, maybe it's it's just pleasure or what are the main benefits? We find many people who are serious wine hobbyists that are really Bordeaux aficionados or collect Burgundy, for example, We'll dive deep into our master level programs, and they do this for personal edification and to become a more educated consumer and collector. Then we have a significant number of our students who are professionals in another realm, in another area. They might be doctors or lawyers or engineers that love wine and would like to make a career change, and they don't know how to do that. The days of the self professed experts are over. Most people need a shingle of some kind in their field, and wine has become one of those. So this helps with career transition if you have some kind of a certification in wine. So you're not walking in cold trying to get into the wine industry. You've shown that you are committed and devoted and have the discipline to achieve a certification on your own, and that's pretty impressive. I'm always looking for those type A's. So, and then so far as professional development, for sure, I consider any area of study something worthy of professional development. It definitely, I know knowledge is power. When I was a salesperson, when I got my certified wine educator certification, it made me a much more effective salesperson because of that body of knowledge behind me. That's all professional development. And in terms of the breakdown of students between those who are in the wine trade already versus those who are consumers, do you have a general sense of for your the French or Italian or Spanish wine scholar level versus the master levels, like what percent are in each? No, that's a very good question, but it's a very difficult one to answer because we find the consumer trade mix differing widely on every single class, with every single class. So it's a little hard. We're usually 45, 55, 60, 40, 70, 30, and that flip-flops depending on the year and the class itself. And the bigger number is trade or consumers? It flip-flops. That's oh, just okay. it. It totally, <laughs> it totally flip-flops. Okay. So it's pretty, pretty even. Even at the master level program? Absolutely. We find some of our... Most ardent students are the serious collectors, the serious wine hobbyists, have passion for a particular wine region and just dive deep and absolutely walk away with 100-point scores on their exams. So that's what I love about the wine industry. It is something that most people are extraordinarily passionate about. Our students come to the programs with an eagerness and an energy and uh, determination to rock the world. And they do. Just out of curiosity, what's passing of 100 points? 75%. Okay. But we have honors and highest honors. And I teach with a very talented educator from Vancouver, Sharon McLean. And we teach the instructor online program. And we tell our students from the get-go, we are your coaches. We're going to get you to the finish line. And we expect nothing short of honors and highest honors. And we tell them that from the get-go, and they deliver. We have an extraordinarily high pass rate. And they all come to our webinars raring to go, 
they type in the chat box the answers to our questions and show us that they're studying. So we have a tremendously motivated group of students. We really do. And I'm sure our instructors in the classroom would say the same. People who are into wine are passionate people. So one of the things I like about Wine Scholar Guild is that almost everything is virtual and has been for quite some time and really are a pioneer in that in that space in terms of being virtual. One of the things I'm curious on how that came about, because I think of like the WSCT as they have the London School, but then they're kind of this hub and spoke model where they have like certified branches and they're kind of spreading out. Now Napa Valley Wine Academy is like the number one global purveyor of classes for them. So I'm just curious on how the model evolved so that you guys went so early, even before there was a pandemic or a crisis and became one of the pioneers in the distance learning wine education space. Oh, that is all due to Julian Camus, our president. When we first started, we were a very small company. We were three people. It was Julian, his wife, and myself. And he had big aspirations. And we had a shoestring budget. (laughs) So he said, I want to go global, but I don't know how to do that. And he said, aha, (laughs) let's do it online. So he was really the one that did a lot of research and learned how to create an interactive online study program. So it's all him. It was all him. And it really enabled us to expand our reach exponentially over all of these years. And we're currently in the process of tweaking that entire fabulous e-learning program that he has developed. We have a graphic designer, fabulous graphic designer out of England, Quentin Sadler, who is just taking us to the next level. We were already on the moon. Now we're heading to Jupiter. Wait till you see the new e-learning modules. They're stunners. They really are. Because a lot of the stuff you were using was proprietary technology. Because at that time, to go straight digital, like there wasn't Zoom then, right? No, there wasn't Zoom. And I'm not the techno person, so I can't answer what all he was doing. That's an interview for him. But Okay, no problem. Yeah, he's good. So I am curious, though, obviously, with many of the other people in the wine education space plowing into virtual because they have to because of 2020. I'm curious on how your experience has evolved as well, given that you already had such a head start. Like what is, you know, and I'm assuming you also saw a surge of students as well during 2020. Wow, yes. We typically offered two to three instructor-led online programs a year, three maximum. Usually it was two. And we were running two at the same time, back to back, one after another during the COVID crisis. It was an incredible drain on resources, but we had 100 program providers close their doors. So we had students that wanted to study and time on their hands. The hospitality industry was shut down. So we had people in lockdown that were perhaps in condominiums or apartments or unable to go outside. Social gatherings were closed. So they threw themselves into their studies. And we answered the call. We were in a position to do it. We did switch from Adobe Connect to Zoom because Adobe Connect was having some issues handling the volume, the sheer volume of people that were coming online. Zoom had its issues too, don't get me wrong. But everybody had growing pains and everybody was adapting. We were too. We were pretty proficient with Adobe Connect. We could troubleshoot with the best of them. But when we switched to Zoom, that was a huge vertical learning curve for everybody on the team. But the fortunate thing is 
everybody was in the same boat and everybody was very forgiving for the, the couple of weeks when we needed to get our feet on the ground with this new technology. But I think it's here to stay, gentlemen. I think after the pandemic, we're going to see a dip because people are going to want to get out. They're going to go back to the classroom. They're going to want to socialize. But I think there are some benefits to online education. No travel, no parking, doesn't matter what the weather is. If you miss a session, you can listen to the recording. There's some value there that I think is going to, it's going to stick moving into the future. Might be a lasting trend as <laughs> we have people at the end. For sure. I think it's a lasting trend. I do. So how do the online courses differ from in-person? Do you still send people wines? I know some people are doing like little tasting kits or other things, or is it basically the same, just not having to travel or is it different somehow? No, actually we've taken a different route. We partnered with Corvan and we have a discount for our members or ran a discount for our members so that they could get a Corvan package which enabled our students to purchase wine and not have to pop a cork. So they could taste, for example, a Sauvignon Blanc from the Loire when they were studying the Loire chapter, and then taste that same Loire Sauvignon Blanc against a Bordeaux Blanc when they got to Bordeaux. So the Coravan enabled them to maximize the economy of their wine purchases and still play along without a lot of expense. One of the benefits of taking a classroom or taking classroom instruction is that the wines are there and the cost is split among all the attendees. So Coravan helped us to kind of bridge that gap and empower our students to have a widespread tasting opportunity without having to pickle their liver. <laughs> So I'm curious on membership. The Wine Scholar Guild has a membership model. How do you view this model as building on your study programs? That's an excellent question. We constantly tell our students when they complete their certification that we hope that they don't consider this to be a destination, that the postnominal is not a destination. We tell our students that no one ever master's wine. We are all perpetual students of wine and that it's very, very important that they keep that educational journey in motion. And to that end, we really ask our students to come back as a member. We provide many, used to be just two continuing education webinars a month, but we ramp that up to four a month during COVID, really to just help our students fill their hours. So we have membership and membership provides you access to those members, member webinars live, but it also gives you access to a webinar library, over 150 webinars strong, that you can play on on-demand replay. We have pronunciation exercises as part of our member benefits. So not only do you walk the walk, you can talk the talk. And we also have or provide discounts for them, like for example, on Coravan or some books and a 10% discount on all of our educational programs. Not study trips, but the education programs. So we provide a lot of perks. There are a lot of perks to membership. And that helps to keep their education journey in motion. And so in terms of the overall cost of membership, is it a yearly fee or, or a monthly fee? It's a yearly fee, $100. Every once in a while, we'll run a special. Uh, we did during COVID. 
We absolutely did. We offered $75 instead of $100, and we actually gave those monies back to our program providers whose doors were shut. So we tried to support our program providers and the industry, too, during some very difficult times. As a matter of fact, we offer scholarships each year for students who are in financial need, and we troubled those this year. Yeah, and you mentioned before the cost of taking classes is much more than the cost of the course itself, but the wines and traveling to the course or to the regions and and all that. How do you think about the total cost of a wine education? And to your point about scholarships, how do students who are maybe less fortunate get that wine education? Exactly. Well, instructor-led courses really solve all those problems. There's no travel. There's no hotel. So you're saving money. There's no gas. So there's that piece. Plus, you get the benefit of live instruction. And it's all recorded. So you can go back and listen again and again. So that is what we gift when we give our scholarships, that instructor-led experience. So it really solves a lot of problems. And do you have partnerships with other organizations? I think I, I recently saw an email that a few Master of Wine candidates received scholarships from the Wine Scholar Guild. Are there other partnerships that help people obtain scholarships for your programs? Not at the moment. We offer our own need-based scholarships, and then we have the Master of Wine scholarships. We're always exploring other avenues as well, but right now that's what we have, those two. Okay. Because Master of Wine is a a tremendous expense as well. Indeed. (laughs) I'm in that program and uh, it is very expensive. It is. How do people think or students think about the potential return of getting a post-nominal or just taking the courses of the Wine Scholar Guild? Well, let me just speak from personal experience on that one. Back in the 1980s when I, well, actually it was 90s. Back in the 1990s when I was working wholesale, I got my certified wine educator certification and my income jumped $25,000. So I can say personally, from a personal experience perspective, certification certainly increased my income. Every company is different and what they reward or don't reward is different, but it certainly impacted my life. Yeah, I mean, it's something we heard from Peter Marks at, at the Napa Valley Wine Academy. He was saying that some companies, either they'll pay or reimburse people for it, or they give them time off, or there's potentially a salary increases if they have reached certain levels of certification. Is that something that, an outreach that you guys do with your programs for some of the larger wine companies? We do offer group rates for distributors. Absolutely. And I know every distributor works a little differently. Some will say, hey, pay for your tuition, take the class. If you pass, we'll reimburse you. Or let's go 50-50 on this expense. Or they cover it 100%. Every organization is different. But I really think it's always good when the employee themselves has a little skin in the game. There's motivation on both sides because you want to succeed. You're invested also, not just the company. And the company certainly wins when they have a more educated sales force. So it really takes two to tango, I think, and it's the best way to succeed. That's my personal opinion. But every company has their own work culture and and their own philosophy. So bringing it back to the love of wine, obviously 
the Wine Scholar Guild is focused on being the place for committed students of wine. But a lot of times we've seen that people, they're there because wine's a passion of theirs. And so having fun while learning is part of it. I'm curious on how Wine Scholar Guild supports the element of fun in terms of learning as opposed to just acquiring the knowledge. Oh, yeah. We had a lot of fun this year during COVID. We created online options games. So basically, our students came on in a Zoom format. So we saw all their faces all over the screen. And we asked them a series of questions. These are options questions. So you ask a question and you give them two options. And if you think the first option is correct, you raise your hand. If you don't, you keep your hand down. And basically, we whittled them down to one winner who won a free membership or another type of prize. But we did a series of these over the course of the COVID lockdown, and people had a blast. It was really exciting to see them test their knowledge. A lot of them were alumni. Some of them were in the program. But it was really super to see people from all over the world, their faces on the screen, smiling and raising their hands and waving their hands. And I have to say, it felt like such connectivity to all our wine students during a time when we were all so isolated. It meant a lot. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, we also have Instagram Live with Rick Fisher, who is our Spanish programs director, and Andrea Eby, who is our Italian programs director. They do a lot of tastings with producers, and when they're teaching a class, they invite their class to have a Zoom happy hour. So we do a lot of these things as well. I think we have a pretty strong community. That's great. So in terms of looking forward for the Wine Scholar Guild, what's next? Are new countries going to be added on, new master classes? What's coming up? We are always building something, and I can't tell you what's next. <laughs> well, you, stay, you mentioned the tuned. new online platform. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We have a new e-learning platform that's going to be super exciting and absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. So that's new. We're debating our next country. So I, I can't say anything more. Well, one of the interesting things about wine, as you mentioned earlier, you can never master wine, even though there are masters of wine. And I think they even say you can never master wine. But as the wine world is constantly changing, how do you think about students? Do they need to ever retest to if like the country has somehow gone through massive changes? Because you might have someone who studied Spain, but has no clue about Godello and the wines of Bierzo or something. This is exactly why we recommend that they join as members, because our member webinars cover continuing education in all of our focus countries and actually beyond. We do things outside of those three focus countries too. So that is the way to keep people hitting the books still, improving their knowledge base. It's super important. And like I said, you know, most overwhelmingly, the majority of our students are super passionate. So they jump right in with both feet and they're in it to win it and to keep on winning. And that's why they join as members. Well, Lisa, with every guest, we always ask them for a prediction, a lasting trend in the fizzling fad and usually focused around the topic. Obviously, you've covered a couple things that you've already mentioned up above in terms of lasting trend and fizzling fads for the wine education space. I'm curious if you want to give another one in terms of what you think is here to stay and what do you hope is going away? You can also speak to the general wine industry as well. Well, when you think about what's happening within the world of pink, I think rosé is here to stay. I think it's been widely embraced. It is a beverage that existed in 
as the most popular wine style from ancient times up until the 1700s. And what's old has just become new again. So I think people will really respond to something that's got a little tannic grip, but drinks like a white and is very thirst quenching year round. So I think that is here to stay. And with regard to a fizzling fad, don't stone me, but I think natural wine will bloom and senesce. There are many, many people who have spent a lot of money on natural wine and they are stunning, but they don't have the shelf life. So they open those bottles later and are disappointed. And I'm speaking in broad generalizations here. Some of the people in our old tasting group might want to stone you, but not us. (laughs) (laughs) Not us, not us. (laughs) It's like roulette. (laughs) It is is like Russian roulette. You don't know what you're going to get. It could be absolutely one of the most phenomenal bottles of wine you've ever tasted. And it could be really full of funky bacteria. And I think there's some winemaking that is flawed, that is riding on the coattails of natural wine. And a true story, I was at SOMCON in D.C. a couple years ago, and I was tasting two natural wines. One was a Chenin Blanc from the Loire, and one was a Muscadet. You could not tell them apart. (laughs) A lot of natural wines have this bruised apple kind of cider character that masks the varietal character. So I think it's a style. It's a style. But I think people will gravitate back to that clean varietal character and that chiseled taste profile. Yeah, I always comment that my favorite natural wines are the ones that I don't know are natural when I smell it. And I was actually in a talk on Clubhouse last week and someone got on and they were like, I'm a big kombucha drinker, so I really like natural wine. I was like... Oh, wow. (laughs) There's so much to unpack there. Um, But uh, (laughs) Poor little vodka in your kombucha. (laughs) Lisa, I really want to thank you for educating Peter and myself on the Wine Scholar Guild because we both have not been students yet. We'd love learning about it and look forward to what else you guys are bringing to market in the coming year. Well, we're excited. It's a pretty dynamic group. We're always, always cooking up something to be honest. So stay tuned. Fasten your seatbelts. We got a lot coming your way. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.